happy birthday to anyone born today because it's Thursday, February 29th, a.k.a. it's Leap Day. I wonder what day people choose to celebrate on non-leap years. It's probably a very cliche question to ask, but would you go for February 28th or March 1st? I think I'd go for March 1st. Not that it's all about me, of course. Uh, Oh, and also a happy anniversary, happy 20th anniversary to the team behind Lord of the Rings Return of the King, who on this day, two decades ago, won 11 Oscars. We're in double digits. Kia ora, this is Newsable. I'm Imogen, and this is What's Worth Talking About. The news television news network News Hub is set to shut down in June has sent shockwaves across the media sector. So what does it tell us about the industry's future? We're getting the latest on the double homicide in Australia where an Aussie cop is accused of murdering two men. And why do almost one in five Americans want Taylor Swift to publicly endorse Joe Biden? All that's coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. There is no sugarcoating it and I wish I could be standing up here with Bisha News. That was the final line delivered by Glenn Kine, Warner Brothers Discovery, head of networks of New Zealand, Australia and Japan, as he told NewsHub staff that their newsroom would be shutting down at the end of June. It is, in inverted commas, a proposal at this stage, but the outlook is not looking good, with another executive from Warner Brothers telling those in attendance that advertising revenue had disappeared far more quickly than their ability to make up for the loss of cash. When asked if there'd be any chance of government intervention, this is what Prime Minister Christopher Luxon had to say. Look, I think it's highly unlikely, you know, because essentially what I've said before is that there has been massive change in consumer habits and how media is being consumed and how news is being undertaken. And you, at the same hand, you've also seen a loss of traditional advertising revenue in the sector as well. And so that requires massive innovation for businesses, media businesses, to reinvent themselves, to innovate, to actually find different ways to be able to get their uh, business models in place. To discuss all of this further is Duncan Grieve from The Spin-Off, one of the media outlet's founders who reports extensively on New Zealand's media landscape. Kia ora, Duncan. Kia ora, Imogen. What will this do to the depth of journalistic talent here in New Zealand? Huge numbers, looks like, are going to be losing their jobs and there doesn't seem to be anywhere for them to go. You know, I think about someone like Jessica Much Mackay, who was the TVNZ political editor. When she left that role, she didn't go to somewhere else in journalism. She went to work in uh, communications for a large bank. And and actually, if you were to look at, you know, government communications or corporate communications, you'd find an incredible roster of brilliant journalists. So most of those people who've gone from News Hub doing public interest work for large audiences... Yeah, you're you're right. They're unlikely to be hired by uh, other newsrooms, and they're likely to end up in in various aspects of public relations and communication. Because mm, there's some incredible journalists there who, once they get a sniff of a story, that's it. Good luck to you if you're if you're the subject of it, because they will make sure they get to the bottom of it. Yeah, I think that that's very true, and it's particularly true. Like to me, the the press gallery is the place where which I'm sort of thinking about a lot. News Hub. If you think about this, there's been a lineage of great political editors, Duncan Garner and to Paddy Gower and to Tover O'Brien and to Jenna Lynch. They've all had this particular quality. They know how to frame up a story. They know how to make it feel like it really matters to you. Mm. As you suggest, they really go after it and stay with it. The idea that that won't be in the gallery from June 
you can imagine there'd be a lot of politicians who breathe a little bit easier as a result. And that's, that, you know, that to me is, is, a, is a perfect illustration of why this isn't just a, a case of market forces. This actually has other consequences as a result. Two of the main news outlets now in New Zealand, uh, state-funded, uh, TVNZ and RNZ. Is that the future? Well, I mean, it's part of the future, isn't it? I think that, that you know that, that's another uh, element of the story, which I think really needs to be emphasised, is that we've gone from a situation where you had a nice, healthy, competitive tension between your big state-owned uh, news outlet, TVNZ, with a privately-owned one in 3 and News Hub, to the point where there are two main TV news uh, outlets. You've got Fakata Māori and you've got uh, TVNZ. Both of those are now state-owned. You have two main radio, you know, audio news outlets. Uh, you have uh, RNZ and you have NZME. You know, RNZ you know, is, is state-funded. State and yes, you have... A, you know, you have um, Radio Watia, a number of iwi-owned uh, radio stations, again, predominantly state-funded. So the, the state is becoming an increasingly large funder of, employer of journalists and journalism and, and owner of media assets just by a process of attrition. We as an industry need to make sure that they sort of look that thing in the eye and admit that that's what they're doing by, by stealth um, because really it, it is very much what's happening right now. Do you feel positive about the future of news here in New Zealand, Duncan? Uh, no, not particularly. Unless there is a radical change, um, and I'm not even sure that the Fair Digital News Bargaining Bill, which you know is probably a coin flip as to whether it goes goes through, it might have changed its odds today. Mm. I'm not even sure whether that's substantial enough. There will always be news because, you know, unless the government defunds RNZ. But it does look like you're going to have a, a journalistic sector which is dominated by two forces, one of which is government-funded and supplied with all of the complexities that that brings, especially as it comes to dominate the freely accessible information market. And then you have publications like Business Desk or, or the New Zealand Herald or you know, the, the Post, uh, the, the Press, Waikato Times and so on, which sit behind a paywall to the vast audiences which were once served by TV news, radio news, newspapers, they just will not get anything like the, the volume of, of coverage that they used to. That feels like not just a possibility, but the most likely reality that we have in, in the not too distant future. Duncan Grave from the spinoff, I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Imogen. Been a pleasure. If you'd like to get in touch, you can always email us, newsable at staff.co.nz. And that, my friends, is an email you may want to keep to hand because, I don't know if you know this, but it's our first birthday next week. Newsable turns one, and there may or may not be a competition on the horizon. That's all I'm going to say. I'm saying nothing more. All I'm going to say is newsable at staff.co.nz is an email address you might want to write down. The search for the bodies of a couple believed to have been killed by an Australian police officer has gripped Australians and New Zealanders alike. The investigation into what had happened played out over days following the discovery of bloodied possessions in a skip. 
Then, two bodies, thought to be the two men, were found after the search moved outside of Sydney. An officer, Bo Lamar Condon, handed himself in to police last week and has been charged with murdering Jesse Beard and Luke Davies. To bring us up to speed is Jamie McKinnell, a reporter for the ABC in Australia. Jamie, thank you for your time. No worries. Hello. First of all, Jamie, who were Jesse Beard and Luke Davies, the pair who were killed? Jesse Baird was a former television presenter for one of our TV stations here, Channel 10, and his boyfriend, Luke Davies, was a flight attendant for Qantas. He'd worked for a number of different airlines, um, but people who worked with him most recently knew him as uh, a Qantas flight attendant who had worked uh, sort of long-haul flights. Now, they lived in Sydney. Uh, we understand the relationship was a relatively new relationship from their social media posts. We can see them uh, you know, going on road trips and going to the beach and going to a pink concert in Sydney just before they disappeared. So it really paints a picture when you look at their social media and, and speak to their friends of a very young couple who were sort of at the beginnings of, of what was clearly a very happy relationship. They disappeared about a week ago. They were last seen in Sydney at a pre-Mardi Gras party. And then, as you mentioned, there was this discovery of bloodied clothes in a skip bin that really heightened the concern for this couple. And they went to Jesse Baird's home, the police, uh, and they discovered what they called a significant amount of blood there. And from there, things have really unfolded uh, in a very rapid way. And so what do we know about the alleged killer, Bo Lamar Condon? Well, police uh, have told us that they are alleging in court that a police service weapon was used in this crime. They have told us that the, the weapon was discharged in Jesse Baird's uh, Paddington home, uh, now, we also have a little bit of history uh, we, that we know about Bo Lamar Condon. Prior to him uh, becoming a police constable around 2019, he was actually what you would call a celebrity chaser or some kind of entertainment reporter. There's actually a presence of his even online from about a decade ago where he was walking red carpets and snapping selfies with people like Lady Gaga and, uh, and Russell Crowe on red carpets. He was a kind of person who really styled himself as like a celebrity blogger type of figure. And then he joined the police force uh, and and then uh, obviously had a career in the police force. Why did it take so long to find the bodies, Jamie, if he had handed himself into police? Well, police have told us that initially Bolamar Condon was not cooperating and was offering no assistance to them in terms of their days-long search for the bodies. Now, that somehow changed. We had a big... Uh, update from police when they announced that they believe they found the bodies of Luke and Jesse. And police told us uh, on Tuesday that uh, Bolamar Condon had retained legal counsel. And as a result of that, they went to the jail where he's being held on remand and they obtained some information from him, which ultimately led to the discovery of Luke and Jesse's bodies. Now, that discovery was made at a rural property about two hours south or southwest of Sydney. Police have described it to us as an area of, uh, of a place called Bungonia, and they say they also discovered two surf bags as part of that investigation. They said uh, the discovery was made on a type of fence line, and they've also said that at that scene there appeared to be some kind of attempt to cover the bodies with rocks and debris. And now police tell us that they're continuing to work at that crime scene and, and scour the area for any other evidence that might be available to them. And meanwhile, the bodies of Jesse and Luke have been moved uh, in preparation for a post-mortem examination. So there's still a, a huge part of this investigation to go. This is obviously a police investigation, but so police have had plenty to say or, you know, have had pre held press conferences about exactly the case. But what have they then also had to say about the alleged killer being one of their own with like a, a history of stalking by the sounds of things? 
There have been some really major questions put to police in these various press conferences they've held, particularly over the last three days. And a lot of the major questions are around the alleged use of a police gun. Now, police have told us that they've called for a review of all of their processes and practices in terms of when police can check out and and take their weapons and how those things attract. And it's interesting that the police commissioner, Karen Webb, has actually uh, tasked that to Victoria Police. So outside of New South Wales, she's seen it fit to have you know, a police force that is not the same as as police in New South Wales essentially investigating themselves. Victoria Police will uh, conduct a review of all of those types of processes because there are obviously some very big questions uh, that are being asked about how a police gun may have been used in a crime like this. Mm, this very, sounds very contentious indeed. Jamie, what are the unanswered questions here with this case? What do we still want to know that we don't know? The other big question that uh, the Commissioner, Karen Webb, has been speaking about and being asked questions about is the recruitment uh, history of the accused here, Beau Lamar Condon. There are a lot of questions being raised about his history and you know the types of tests that police go through when they join the police force. He has uh, only had his first court appearance, though, so he has not entered a plea to those two counts of murder, and his court case will come back before the courts in April. Jamie McKinnell from the ABC in Australia, thank you very much for taking the time to bring us up to speed. No worries, thanks. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo of that gotcha journalist. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. No, that, that, I think that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. It, it, yeah, we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing iffy in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. We're talking Taylor Swift and Joe Biden next, an unlikely duo, but a duo nonetheless. They've been forced together. Uh, But it is also Super Tuesday next week in the US on that note as well, which we will be covering with a journalist on the ground. So to make sure you don't miss that, chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform. What do Taylor Swift and Joe Biden have in common? I don't actually have an answer to that question. I would be willing to bet, though, that it's nothing. But their names are starting to come up together more and more because the pop star is coming under fire for not endorsing Joe Biden for president at this year's US presidential election. Why is it such a big deal, I hear you ask? Well, a recent poll in the US found 18% of voters would support the candidate she was supporting. That is almost one in five people. And then even more bizarrely, there are conspiracy theories that Taylor Swift is a Pentagon plant sent to indoctrinate American citizens and get them to vote Democrat. How on earth have we got here? Here to talk to us about all things political endorsements is Hans Noel, an associate professor at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. Hans, hello. Uh, hi, good to see you again. Has Taylor Swift been sent by the Pentagon to indoctrinate American citizens? Almost certainly not. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the the conspiracy theories like that, you you know, people like to spin them up. I think even the people who, who float the, them don't imagine it's quite so literally that but um, not only do I you know she's not a you know plant by the Pentagon, but I don't think that she's you know in, there's any kind of particular behind the scenes strategizing about her uh, influence. But she is an influential person, and so as the poll suggests, when she says she likes something, a lot of people might also decide they like that thing. 
she endorsed Joe Biden at the last election, and it could be assumed her voting tendencies haven't changed since then. So why the need for another endorsement this time around, do you think? Well, I do think that people, you know, expect to hear like, okay, this is this choice again. People can change their minds. And so if you do want to know what she's going to do, yeah, probably she's going to do what she did last time. It's the exact same candidates probably. But, you know, I'm sure that people who have forgotten that or don't remember what happened before or are not thinking that closely, uh, you know, it might mean something for her to come out and say whatever she supports uh, again. I don't think, you know, the effect is actually one in five um, people. I think what's mm-hmm. probably more likely is that that many people will say in a survey, yeah, I'm influenced that way. A lot of the people who are saying that probably were already likely to vote for um, Biden anyway. And um, if, say, she were to suddenly come out for Trump, they might not be so persuaded, but that's not what they think. So that's not what they said in the the, uh, response to the survey. So this might be more of a Swifty phenomenon then? It might be. I mean, I think that all kinds of well-known people, if they come out in favor of somebody, they might mean something. Mm. And, you know, certainly if I... You know, my favorite uh, no author or something else uh, said something. I might be like, oh, interesting. I don't know. Probably more likely I would say, oh, uh, you endorsed the candidate that I don't like. I guess I like you just a little bit less and probably go the other way. <laughs> um, but there are some people who, you know, are going to be influenced and shaped this direction. And I think the thing with Taylor Swift is that her fame and influence and following is so big. It's so global and it's so far reaching that it starts to be big enough that you might think you could detect it in an actual election, Mm. whereas most of the time it would be a drop in the bucket. Hans, it's also Super Tuesday next week. Can you give me a quick vibe check? Uh, I mean, I think generally people are not that excited about what's coming (laughs) forward. I think the, um, you know, the result of of this past several uh, events have been that, you know, Nikki Haley has been actually performing maybe a little bit better than polling had suggested, but only a little bit better. And meanwhile, Trump is still clearly the winner in nearly every state. Super Tuesday next week. So by then, we'll have a whole lot of votes. And I think at that point, we'll we'll know if there was ever a place mm-hmm. where Nikki Haley got enough traction to actually come in first. She's st- uh, planned to go and tell Super Tuesday, and I think that's probably right. Super Tuesday, the results are going to come in. She's not going to be waiting the nomination, probably, and then she'll drop out. Hans Noel from Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. Thank you for your time. And it is Super Tuesday next Tuesday, which we will also be covering out of the U.S. Super Tuesday, of course, being a day where multiple states choose their presidential candidate. So a very big day then indeed. A very big day here as well, February 29th. Go out and enjoy it. I don't know. Celebrate. Should we celebrate? Maybe we should celebrate. That's Newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells, and I'll find out how to celebrate Leap Day. Newsable. News that's worth talking about. If you liked it and reckon it's also worth supporting, please make a contribution at stuff.co.nz support. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.